I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, the tennis podcast by fans on today's Australian Open finals weekend catch-up. Novak Djokovic wins his ninth Australian Open title in a straight sets victory over Daniel Medvedev. Naomi Osaka makes it Grand Slam number four with win over Jen Brady. And Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram's men's doubles defence comes to an end at the hands of Dodig and Palasic. Kim, there we have it. Our two Australian Open singles champions, Novak Djokovic and Naomi Osaka. We're going to be dissecting each of the singles finals today on our final round by round catch up. So we can all breathe a sigh of relief after this episode. And we're also going to be recapping all of the doubles action as well. I think just generally speaking about kind of looking at those two singles finals as fans over the weekend, I think, you know, I think we were going into it thinking that hopefully we were going to get a, a you know, a women's match that was going to go three sets. Maybe we were going to get a men's match that was going to go five sets. But when it came to it, it all felt a bit, it all felt a bit straightforward, didn't it? Very straightforward, Joel. Quite underwhelming, I have to say. I think they were both quite disappointing matches. Uh, definitely not the best matches that we've seen this tournament. You know, all eyes on the finals, but they, they didn't really deliver in terms of the competitiveness mm. and, and drama that we were, I guess, hoping for. Uh, yeah, so quite underwhelming fr- from my perspective. Yeah, I think what's kind of surprising about it is maybe we we were kind of sensing that Osaka Brady, it wouldn't have been as surprising that it would have been a, a straight sets kind of formality like it was. But I think let's start with the you know the men's final and, and Novak Djokovic versus Daniel Medvedev because that ended with a scoreline of seven five six two six two. But I think everyone, I mean fans journalists everyone in the tennis community was thinking this was going to be five set classic maybe Daniel Medvedev uh, defeating Novak Djokovic but I think we've got to start with this men's final and say that scoreline I think has surprised us has surprised everyone it's took everyone off guard with how sort of with how dominant uh, Novak Djokovic was I think there's two things going into that really that made I think a lot of the media and ourselves included you know think that it was going to be more competitive and that was you know Medvedev the fact that he was on a 20 match winning streak mm. had beaten you know many top 10 players over the course of that streak and had you know generally been in really good form this tournament barring that five set match against Karinovic and Novak having had all this injury uh drama you know in in his earlier rounds and dropping quite a lot of sets actually he dropped you know a lot more sets coming into the final than he would normally do and hasn't had the most straightforward run as as he usually would so I think those two factors combined made us think actually this is shaping up to potentially be you know a classic and I guess there was a real appetite for that as well from fans I'm sure I'm sure Novak fans wanted it to be straightforward but uh yeah I think Djokovic has just absolutely pulled a, a corker out the bag today 
He upped his level. He didn't seem to be obviously impaired by any injury whatsoever. I think that that must be completely fine now. And what we saw from Medvedev in previous rounds, he just did not deliver today. He was not the same player, mm. uh, you know, especially mentally. It was a completely different kettle of fish today. You knew that the first set was going to be a big, big moment for Medvedev in terms of if he was able to, if he was going to be able to kind of win this match, he felt like he needed to take that first set. And really, he only had that opportunity, I think, at like kind of four all love 15, uh, you know, on Djokovic's serve. Maybe he felt like he had a chance there, but it didn't, it didn't materialize. And I think generally through the match, whenever there was a sort of, you know, ray of hope for, for Daniel Medvedev on the Djokovic serve, uh, Djokovic just kind of slammed the door shut on it. And I think really that's a, you know, a testament to how well I think Djokovic has served, not only in the final, but just generally throughout the, the two weeks. I can't recall a time where he has gone through, you know, through to a Grand Slam final, you know, play, uh, playing this, uh, this well with his serve. You know, we've talked about the number of aces that he has, you know, he served this week has been way above average. And again, today, the fact that he, was very very good on on his serve it just got him out of trouble when you felt that there was any sort of um you know there was any sort of tension on his uh, service games i think particularly in that third set you know with the the crowd were kind of like mm. you know in that situation of yes i want this to go to a fourth and i'm always going to cheer for medvedev when he's like either love 15 or 15 30 or, or love 30 or whatever on, on djokovic's serve but Djokovic just showed mentally again and again and and in the final that whenever he's in those sort of back to the wall situations, he can just bring it out the bag. And I think his particularly his first serve was a real part of that. Yeah, really fast courts, big serving. I mean, Djokovic served so well today, right from the get go. You know, he was right up there. And and mm. also, I mean, <laughs> and Medvedev, you know, usually would be able to win a lot more free points with his serve. But obviously, Djokovic is the best returner in the game. And he was returning with such depth today. Um, it really, you know, didn't give Medvedev as much of a opportunity to to kind of just hold easily and we saw that you know Djokovic broke him so many times and it was just yeah very really able to neutralize I guess the game plan that Medvedev would have had against him and you know Medvedev I think really needs to work on certain aspects of his game especially up at the net and I think Djokovic really um you know knew that capitalized capitalized on it bringing Medvedev into the net where possible and you know that just I think also led to rattling Medvedev and um, causing him to just go completely mentally off the boil because from the word go I think you know Novak's game plan was a lot more aggressive and I think just got under Medvedev's skin you know right from the start. Just very quickly, talking about serve, I mean, points one on first serve, Djokovic 72%, Medvedev 68%, sort of level, level pegging. But mm. if you look, to, look at second serve, Djokovic was still winning 55% um, on his second serve, but Medvedev only 25%. So you, we all know Djokovic is such a great returner um, in the game, you know, one of the greatest all time. And that really came to the fore in, in this final. As you said, with the kind of, I think it was interesting in terms of, the fact that he was incorporating the drop shot. I know we've seen that before and it's not really, you know, for example, at the French Open, I think he, you know, went to that tactic quite a bit and he had sort of mixed success in it, particularly obviously in that final against Nadal. But here you felt like it was a definite tactic and you sense that, you know, for, for quite a quite a long stretch of the match, it, it was very much 
Djokovic, Medvedev from the baseline. And I think Medvedev was quite kind of content with that. And I feel like his strategy was almost kind of like, I'm going to try and out Djokovic, Djokovic from the, the baseline. Whereas Djokovic actually was a bit like, actually, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not into this. I'm going to change it up and mix it up. And he, that's where he kind of brought the, the drop shot in. And, and really, I think, yeah, tested Medvedev at, at the, you know, at the net. And I don't think that's a part of his game that maybe is, is all there yet. Mm. I mean, he did have some moments at the net, which were, you know, pretty impressive, some pretty good volleying, but you do, you do feel like with Medvedev, his, his, his ground stroke game is very strong, but maybe at the net, it's, it's not as much. Yeah, and I just, <laughs> I think that's a bad strategy, really, for Medvedev trying to out Djokovic. Djokovic. I, I mean, can anyone out Djokovic? Djokovic. I don't think so, unless it's mm. Nadal on a hot, um, on a hard court. What am I saying? On a clay court at Roland Garros. I mean, I think also, uh, you know, Novak essentially did what Rafa did to him. You know, the French last year. He's just kind of pulled an absolute blinder out the bag and thought, right, this is my this is my court. This is my title. No one's having any of it. Like, I, you know, I'm holding on to this for at least another year and, you know, you've got no hope basically. And it all seems so um, foolish, I think, of us to think that Medvedev had any chance in hindsight. I mean, hindsight <laughs> is a wonderful thing. Silly. He's made us look very silly, hasn't he? <laughs> he has. Yeah. I mean, I think Medvedev will be so looking back so frustrated with how he reacted to this you know going a set down yeah he was unfortunate you know he got broken right at the end of that set but he had done you know he was originally three love down he'd broken back got it level and then obviously got broken right at the end which is very very frustrating but you just you know and then he broke at the start of the second and he thought okay hang on a minute momentum shift possibly here Mm, but then you know Novak reeled off what I think four straight games after that point and at that point Medvedev just seemed to completely lose it and he just felt unless he was able to get a control on his emotions um, and his focus and concentration, like it was a foregone conclusion, um, which, you know, which is what happened. It just ran away, you know, 6-2, 6-2 for those last two sets. That's just, you cannot afford to, I guess, react like that in a Grand Slam final. I know the pressure is on, like the, the occasion is so momentous, but I thought Medvedev had kind of turned a corner with his like attitude. I thought he had, changed his ways yeah. but I feel like the old him really came out and yeah it's just, I think he'll be really disappointed with that yeah because Djokovic you you sense Djokovic kind of broke him quite early on in in that second set uh you know I think one and a half sets in he he had that racket smash and and that was really I think that was really telling for you know fans and and people in attendance that you know Djokovic was really kind of getting under his skin and it was a bit of a shame because in that second set, you know, he, he, he did, he did win the, you know, he, he went up a, a break and serve. So you would have hoped that he could have clung on to that and, you know, taken that, that second set and kind of righted all the, all the wrongs from the first set. But Djokovic was just so, you know, you know, we spoke about kind of his, his returns and was just able to just kind of nip at the heels of, of Medvedev. And even though he was a breakup, you never sensed that he was, kind of fully in control and uh, you know I do kind of wonder about the you know the the Medvedev temperament in the sense that you know we saw Sissipas uh, you know win against Nadal in the semi-finals and he was two sets down and still you know he stayed kind of very cool and, and calm about it and didn't really show any sort of you know emotion and I think that was very kind of mature from him but whereas I think with Medvedev as the match went on you know we saw that racket smash and it didn't really get much better from there you know he was kind of he was more frequently looking at his box it it felt a little bit more desperate and it felt a little bit 
a bit more like Sasha Zverev was against Novak Djokovic, you know, more kind of exasperated facial expressions. And, you know, as soon as, you know, as soon as you were seeing that, as I guess, as a fan on, on the television, you just sense that, you know, Novak Djokovic in his mind here. And, you know, as a result of that, there's only really going to be one way this is going to go. So I do, I do wonder whether there's work there to be done for Medvedev in terms of that sort of mental composure that, you know, that has, I think, frayed at times this tournament. You know, we, we've already spoken about the, you know, the Philip Kranjevic match when you know, he told his, his coach to, to get off court. And I think that, again, kind of boiled over in, in a, you know, maybe not in such a dramatic way, but I think it's still boiled over in this match. He's got a right issue against Serbian players, hasn't he? They've really got <laughs> under his skin. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, oh, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I feel, you know, he's actually almost regressed uh, if you compare to his first Grand Slam final against Rafa at the US Open where he was two sets down, but obviously pegged it back to five sets. Yeah. And I guess because of that, we were expecting that, okay, even if Novak was to take, you know, the first set, like Medvedev wouldn't let that get to him. You know, we're on for like at least a four setter perhaps so yeah very frustrating um shades of Andy Murray as well I hate to say it Joel but you know getting right down on himself in the early days yeah I do you know I I I do wonder about kind of what what Medvedev kind of needs to do in the future and I I do wonder whether he does need to bring like a Grand Slam champion like an even Lendl or you know the fact that Djokovic has a a Gora and even Isovic in his corner whether he needs that sort of um that sort of caliber player in in his you know in his team now um who's able to be there in in his player box because you do feel like he is a player who could win um at some point a grand slam but maybe in order to make that breakthrough he's going to need something that you know his current setup maybe doesn't give him and you know, we've seen that, you know, Murray has kind of got, went on a similar path. I think, you know, Dominic Team obviously went on a similar path in terms of, you know, losing a fair few kind of Grand Slam finals. And I think Medvedev might be looking at how do I kind of rectify that and, and whether he needs to bring a Grand Slam champion on board. I'm already kind of thinking maybe he brings someone like a, I don't know if it's impossible, but keeping it Russian themed, but maybe he could bring like a Marat Safin on board to kind of, you know, understand, you know, particularly I think in terms of that like temperament and, you know, hot headedness, I think there's, there's obviously kind of parallels and similarities there, but I wonder whether there's uh you know, the, he will need to kind of look at that as a next step in terms of players who've been there, done it and, and kind of what it feels like and, and what it feels like to be, you know, down against some of the best, but able to come through and, and maybe someone like a, a Marit Safin figure in his box will, you know, help him unlock that. Although wasn't Marat Safin known for getting really worked up on court? <laughs> Maybe Nikolai Davidenko, although he didn't win a slam, he always seemed a lot more composed. I think mm. Medvedev needs more composure. I, I don't know, because he obviously does have the game to win a slam. It's just today, obviously up against the absolute master on this court. But yeah, mentally, just completely different story. And you know, Novak um, has been quite frustrated himself this tournament, You know, especially when he was, you know... Um, struggling with the the injury in, in the earlier rounds and getting quite worked up himself at, at times but obviously there was no sign of that today the, the you know he obviously felt fine um and was able to just play his game do what he does best and essentially obliterate his opponent uh <laughs> I, I do think i do think this was a very sort of similar matchup to serena williams versus naomi osaka in that women's semi-final again those both those players have very similar styles and 
you know, with this match, I felt again, you just have to watch their you had you just had to as a fan kind of watch their rallies from the baseline and, and say that yeah, they they also have similar styles. But you know, where this you know, where the Serena Osaka outcome I felt like went more to the the student and in Osaka, who I think has now become almost the master and, and maybe Serena Williams has become the student. I still think in this match the outcome was completely different and, and Novak Djokovic was you know, he was he was the master before and he's still the master and, and Medvedev is still the, the student and still and still learning and it it's it's a it's very I think it's very tough when there are similar styles at play here and I think Mark Petri kind of said it on commentary. It's like you can you can analyze, you know, you can analyze over the hills, look at all the data, look at all the spreadsheets, but at the end of the day, objectively Novak Djokovic is just a better player and mm. I think when you have similar styles that are you know that are are very similar on the eye on on court there's only you know it's almost like the original the the only person who's going to win that is is the original and you know maybe at the moment Medvedev almost kind of feels like a an an imitation and he's going to need to have maybe a different strategy in play when he comes up against someone who has such a similar and superior um style of game to him I think you just need to be Stan Wawrinka, don't you, to have any chance of beating Djokovic in a slam final or or, or Rafa, you know. Um, I think, you know, Novak's never lost an Australian Open semi or final. You know, he's won this tournament nine times now. He's become only the second man to have won nine or more titles at a, you know, Grand Slam event. Obviously, Rafa having 13 Frenches. Two behind Rafa and Roger, you know, in terms of the Grand Slam tally, he he needed this win, he needed that to to keep in in touch with, with that. And uh, I mean, I don't really, I, I have no words, Joel, because it's just, <laughs> you know, he is amazing. Like like Mark Petchy said, he is just a better player. Um, he is the best player. This was near perfect tennis, I think, from mm, yeah. Novak Djokovic. Yeah. And I think what, what was so impressive about that was, yes, we've seen Novak Djokovic on court reached levels of, of perfection like this before but the the kind of the journey that he's been through that you know that match against Taylor Fritz Kim when we were doing our, our round by round podcast after that I, I I said to you I didn't think he was actually going to make it out on the the court against Milos Raonic and I think that's what's made this I think this slam for him so special in terms of you know, when he looks back on all of the, you know, the titles that he, he's won at Melbourne, I think this will probably rank for him, you know, very kind of close to the to the top, maybe in terms of the the journey that he's gone through. You know, he had that had that really, you know, hard battle against TFO and really punishing temperatures. He had to come back from sorry, he was he was two sets up against Fritz and it was it went to five you know the, those sorts of matches do take to take its toll on you and and to kind of put that all to one side once you get to the final and go to another level it was just it was just very very special that i don't think you know i think this is quite a unique sort of path that he's been on compared to compared to his other slam victories i think it would have been really interesting if dominic team had been a thing at this tournament and mm. not sort of lamely gone out to Grigor. You know, if if team coming up against Novak in the semi, like we'd all expected, you know, we saw that team on this court on this occasion last year, you know, took Novak to five sets. Like he he has beaten Novak at slams. He seems to be someone who can come a lot, lot closer than Daniel Medvedev did today. And yeah, I don't know if that if that would have made any difference. But I, I was just thinking, oh, you know, at least with Dominic team, we haven't 
we don't see him with this kind of attitude in a grandstand final. Yep. He's he does seem a lot more calm and composed, and it just made me like really appreciate how much actually more ahead I think team is. I know he had a bad tournament this mm. time round, but I think team is still you know a cut a cut above Medvedev, I suppose, when it comes to slams of just from what we've seen of him if we kind of go back to the the start of the tournament and we would kind of you know go back to that question of if there was one player that could beat Novak Djokovic I think at the time we were almost kind of saying it was is Daniel Medvedev do you still do you sense do you sense that or do you still think it's like a do you think it's a Dominic team do you think it's a, a Rafa Nadal on, on a hardcore where do, do you still or do you do you think kind of you know it doesn't matter who it is Djokovic is is just going to win um because I I, I sense yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I, I'm, I'm sensing that if, the, the fact that the, the way that, that Medvedev lost, I think if team was in that final, I think it would have been, I'm not saying that team would have won, but no. I think the, I think it would have been, I think we would have got to kind of the business end yeah. on, on more sets and not just yeah. kind of one, you know, or not just on the first set. Completely agree. I mean, Medvedev won the same amount of games that Aslan Karatsev did, which, you know, is uh, just goes to show. Yeah, I think, t- <laughs> I think, I think team would have been a lot closer. I think, um, I don't think Rafa necessarily, because, you know, we saw in 2019, Rafa got obliterated against Novak mm. in the final. So we've seen Novak do this before and pull out such a dominant performance when it comes to the final. You know, he's able to step it up at the final, which is what great champions do. And, you know, well, could he beat Margaret Court's record? She had uh, 11 Australian Open titles. And, well, I think certainly Novak is looking good to uh, equal and beat that, I think. Yes, I I think is this going to be the new Serena 24 question? I feel like Serena Williams would, would welcome this in open arms, almost kind of like putting that in the, can we just put that away now uh, you know, at the side and, and focus on, yeah, whether Novak Djokovic is going to uh, break Margaret Court's uh, record of 11 Australian Open titles. I mean, Kim, he's on, he's on nine at the moment. What, what do you, what do you think? I mean, eleven sounds, eleven sounds is quite ridiculous. Let's let's be realistic. But I mean, that would take what ten, eleven, three more, three more titles. That's three more years at least of of dominance. I mean, that's that still feels kind of pushing it. But what, what, where do you, where, where do you think Novak Djokovic might end up in terms of? In terms of Australian Open slam titles? Well, he's going to be 34 this year, I think. So I think if Rafa can get 13 French Opens, I see no reason why Novak could not, you know, do the same at Roland Roland Garros. What am I saying? (laughs) At the Australian Open. Uh, So I think, yeah, certainly, absolutely. I think he can. He's he's very fit. He's... uh, He's a, he's got such a you know such longevity about him. Yeah. Players are playing later than ever. You don't feel like age affects him as much, mm. maybe as someone yeah. like Federer, who we've seen with injuries. Of course, we've seen Nadal with with injuries in the past as well. But you just don't feel that age erodes Djokovic's abilities as much as maybe it does with other with other players of the big three. I think Novak and injury is an interesting concept, Joel. Uh, many fans <laughs> would say that he should be given an Oscar along with his Australian Open mm. title because who know, who really knows with him and injuries. But uh, I thought also, I mean, what was your opinion about the crowd today? Because I, obviously there was 50% capacity. It was great to have, you know, atmosphere and crowd noise. But I thought actually having less fans made it seem a bit more raucous in the crowd because I think there were quite a number of like Serbian fans, obviously, there's quite a big Serbian community out in Melbourne. They were able to get tickets. So I felt it was almost a bit more of a, 
more factitious elements perhaps in the crowd coming into play and we saw a few points where they called out you know in the middle of the point and there was one that Novak had to stop in and they had to replay it umpire had to tell the crowd to essentially you know shut up (laughs) uh so I thought that was I don't know if if that got under Medvedev's skin at all um I don't know I think we all know with with Djokovic and his fans, I feel like they're of the, you know, if we kind of compare them to Federer fans and Nadal fans, I do think they are the most like raucous in a crowd in terms of passion and and shouting and, uh, you know, cheering on their, uh, you know, cheering on uh, Novak Djokovic. And I, I, I agree in the sense that because there are less fans there, if that sort of Djokovic fan contingent is there, their, their voice almost feels a bit more amplified mm, because yeah. there's not, there's not so much of a, a sellout crowd. Um, and I, I agree. I think at, at times it, it did get a bit too, um, it did boil over a, a little bit, but I actually thought whether that was going to rile Medvedev up in the sense that I think we see some of his best tennis when he feels that you know, the crowd and all the different elements out there are against him. But for some reason, he felt it It felt today like he was a little bit subdued. And as you said, it kind of got under his skin. And as a result of that, he, that's why he was kind of looking at his box and, and not, you know, and, and, and getting frustrated. So, you know, I, I think I think that's just something he's going to have to take with, you know, a final against someone in in, in the big three. Um, you know, he probably would, he, he probably, you know, he probably sensed that in the, in the Nadal match in, in Flushing Meadows, but um, you, you, but yeah, the, I think the Djokovic fans is, is probably a little bit of a different proposition to than say you know the Nadal fans, for example, in a in a really massive arena like like Arthur Ashe. Yeah, for sure. I think, and also having a full stadium with kind of maybe more casual fans that kind of neutralizes the the specific elements. But yeah, it's been. Um, a very predictable outcome, I suppose, Joel, for the men's event. We both called Djokovic as the champion and we'll be, you know, I guess doing exactly the same 12 months from now. Well, 11 months, I suppose, if it's January again next year, probably uh, having him as the hot favourite to win in 2022. Mm. So let's just take an ad break now and then uh, we'll be back in the second half looking at the women's final. This is The Passing Shot and you are joined by Joel and Kim. And now we're going to move on to look back at yesterday's women's singles final, Naomi Osaka versus Jennifer Brady. That was a 6-4, 6-3 straight set victory for Osaka, Joel. She's won her second Australian Open, her fourth Grand Slam overall, and she's now 4-4 four and four, uh, in Grand Slam finals. 100% record once she reaches the quarterfinals of a slam and beyond and to be honest with you, the way it went today, I thought it was pretty par for the course. I, I can't see how Osaka is going to be beaten on a hard court anytime soon, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> no, I think she's won four of the last six Grand Slams on a hard court. She's just really, there's just something about that, um, about her and that course surface that is a match made in heaven at the moment. And she really kind of proved that, you know, over the last two weeks, as, as you said, I think this final was a little bit anticlimactic and, you know, I think when we like look back on this, uh, you know, path that Osaka has been on, I think the journey to the final has is actually arguably more interesting than the final itself, particularly those wins against Muguruza and Serena Williams in the semi-final. But you know, obviously, an, an incredible achievement. 
um, four, four grand slams at 23 years old. You know, that is a really, really incredible. You just got to look at the, you know, the active players who, who are in that category of four or more slam singles titles. I mean, as we said, Serena Williams, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Venus Williams, uh, Kim Kleisters is also in there. You know, you, those caliber of players, Naomi Osaka is now mixing with at 23 years old. It really is something special. Yeah, she's certainly joining quite an elite and exclusive cohort of players, um, you know, with with those four slam wins and four and counting, I'm sure, because, yeah, like you said, she is only 23 years of age, which just makes me feel very insignificant with what I've achieved with my life. But I mean, all, all you know, thoughts aside, she is a great role model, you know, as well with her activism off the court. You know, she's such a young um, and, and well-spoken individual and you know, she has, you know, she stands up for what's right as well in, in a public platform. And she's a, you know, in, in inspiration, not just to, you know, young women, but you know, young sports stars to everyone, really. So um, you couldn't really have asked for a, like a better person, I suppose, to come along and, and take, you know, this mantle in the game as well. Um, I mean, let's look at the match itself. I don't think Asaka was actually at her best today, but it, she didn't need to be. And it proved that even not at her best she was still a cut above the opposition and you know Jennifer Brady I think she'll be very disappointed that she didn't make the most of that kind of nugget of opportunity that she got um, when she had a break point at four all in the first set because after that you know after not not being able to convert that and then you know um Osaka holding I kind of felt that there was going to be an inevitable break of serve at the end of that set and then I thought you know the second set would almost be a foregone conclusion yeah it was I mean that that really was the match uh you know in a in a moment at, at four all I think love 30 on Osaka's serve that was Jen Brady's moment and you did feel that if 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 Brady was gonna do the unthinkable and win the match she was probably gonna have to win that that first set and there was a li- there was a little bit there was a little bit of time when I think Osaka was a bit nervous and Brady had a second serve I think that she put into the net and I think she'll look back on particularly that that point being the moment that that yes that she should probably should have done a bit better on and you know she could have she could have been serving for the set but alas I think that showed how you know how far Osaka has come on in in the last 12 months she's not let any of those sort of situations phase her they may have phased her you know before she may have handled it differently you know 12 12 months ago you know when she was going through that I think kind of mentally fragile state particularly I think when she was you know world number one for the the first time but here I think you know she was very composed and relaxed and regardless of the you know the the spots of bother that I think Brady put her in Osaka really was kind of ready to to accept it and I think and I think a big part of that is the route that she had to the final I think she was kind of battle hardened by the fact that she came back from match points down against Mugrutha, the fact that she had to come through one of the, the greatest of all time in Serena Williams in, in the semi-final. And I think that really helped her in, in those moments. And, you know, talking about kind of, you know, seizing con- kind of control and, and initiative as well, when it did kind of come to Brady, uh, you know, serving four or five down after not being able to, to take that break point chance, you know, it just, it, it just didn't materialize for her. And, you know, when it really kind of come came to that that business end of the set, I think that little bit of inexperience in a in a slam final really really came to the fore. I think in in Jen Brady's game. 
Yeah, she wasn't really able to impose her game like like we saw actually in in their US Open semi final. It was a it was a different story today, and you know I think a large part of that would be due to nerves and, and the situation and the pressure, and not forgetting there there was a crowd as well. You know, not full capacity, but there's still still that influence from the crowd. Whereas at the US Open, there there was no one. Um, I think yeah, Jen Brady she did make too many errors as well, too many kind of wayward errors. She she wasn't like. She, she didn't play, you know, obviously her best tennis and neither did Osaka, to be fair, but it was obviously still a, a difference between the two. And I think, yeah, she'll be disappointed. I mean, I was impressed that Brady managed to um, not let the second set, you know, yep. completely run away from her. She, you know, because at one point, you know, she went quickly for love down. And I thought, oh, this could really be, you know, this could be a bagel or it could be a breadstick. I mean, I was listening to the commentary, Joel, on Five Live, and I think the biggest debate they were having was the colour of Naomi Osaka's skirt, whether it was pink or orange. Um, and, you know, that kind of showed you, I guess, that the match wasn't the most <laughs> yep. engaging. And, uh, you know, you sort of felt yourself getting distracted by by silly things like that, I suppose. But, um, yeah, as you said, I think really for me, like the Muguruza fourth round match was the the real final I suppose that that was the the match that I will remember from this tournament and the other fourth round matches as well actually Halep Shriontek Serena Sabalenka I think that was the the real kind of they, those matches were the, the best ones we saw this whole tournament I think um, what we've seen at the latter stages haven't really lived up to to those but I mean that's the way it goes isn't it with with the way the draw kind of fell and I think this was probably Osaka's toughest draw that she's actually had coming through a slam and I think. The fact that it was so tough, and but she was up for it, like you said, her her positive attitude, and even on the court today, you know, she was kind of fist pumping, you know, against her her thigh, and and sort of, you could tell that she was really like getting ready, and I think you know, it just showed that she's come a long way since, obviously, a few years ago, where she would have got quite down in the dumps and quite negative on herself for, you know, I, I honestly think she wouldn't have come through that round four match, you know, if if this was being played you know, tw- 12 months ago. Um, and as I said, I think, you know, what's been so impressive about this run from Osaka is the journey she's been on in terms of, uh, you know, I remember when we did our, our preview episode and, and we were speaking about Naomi Osaka's draw and saying it was, you know, a really, really tough draw. And, you know, the fact that she was able to come through it, the fact that, you know, she was match points down against Muguruza, I think is a real... You know, it's the ultimate, I think, testament to the, you know, the mental, you know, the mental strength and mental application that she's, she's gained with, you know, her coach, Vim Facet over the last, uh, you know, the, over the last year or so. And it was, you know, really impressive. And although it was kind of business as usual in, in the final, she still had to, she still had to get the job done. And, you know, I think we were engaged, I think, particularly in that, you know, the first half of the first set. It was very, I think, topsy-turvy in terms of kind of momentum shifts. You know, we started, Osaka almost started like a, a house on fire and I literally held her first, you know, her opening service game within 10 seconds. And then Brady, I think, was 40 love up and then it got back to juice. And, you know, she, she kind of had a bit more uh, of a struggle in terms of kind of serving out her game. And I think what's been so impressive is that sort of the fact that she's been able to get through her service game so quickly because she's got such a fantastic serve, maybe not so much, maybe not so much today, but the fact that she was able to kind of, I think, assert the pressure back onto her opponent and back onto her opponent's serve so quickly. I think that is a real kind of um, asset to to Osaka's game in that she can get through her service games really quickly, 
put the pressure and asked the question on, on Jen Brady. And, you know, she asked that question at the end of the first set and Jen Brady didn't, didn't have an answer. Yeah, I think neither of them actually served. Like their first serve percentage, they were both down at 48% as a total for mm. the match. But crucially, Asaka was obviously winning more points on her first and second serve. And, and obviously it was quite a windy conditions as well. You could tell that, um, you know, the wind had picked up, which you know, made it a bit more challenging. But I mean, the courts are playing so fast here, aren't they? Um, I think it's gonna, it was going to favour the server either way. And I think as a result, we didn't get any, I couldn't really fully get into it because it was quite serve dominated and the points were quite short. You didn't really have any like epic rallies, which is kind of no. what I love in a final, you know, that real kind of um, attritional battle. And it did feel like a very stop start almost. And it, I think that's not really the match that's ever going to live up to the the hype or be one for the memory uh, for the, you know, for the history books. But I think Jen Brady will be disappointed with her first per, for her first serve percentage more because you know if if Osaka is serving below 50% that's an opportunity for her opponent and she might be thinking kind of looking back on those stats that if if she had been able to serve at you know 65 70% and and get through her games you know a little bit easier she maybe could have asserted a bit more pressure on on Osaka in her service games because of the fact that she was she was serving quite poorly and you know, even though she was winning kind of the majority of the points when her serve was going in, she definitely got a look in on Naomi Osaka's second serve. And, you know, she, I think she would have felt that she could have done more kind of more justice there. But, it, you know, it wasn't to be. And I think the other thing as well to say about Brady's game is we talk about her fantastic baseline uh, ball striking capabilities, both off kind of the well, I think predominantly we talk about it off, off the forehand, but it was quite clear mm. today. I think Osaka was really targeting that that backhand side of Brady. And I think actually Brady kind of coped with it quite well, but I don't think her forehand was particularly clicking today. And I think, again, that kind of coupled with her, her low first serve percentage really kind of, it really kind of did her in in, in the final and, and wasn't going to make it. it. It was, it those you felt like, like both those things needed to be firing in order for, for her to have a chance yeah exactly I think like you said Osaka wasn't at her best like serving under 50% you you have to make the most of your opponent not being at Mm. at the top of their game and I'm not saying Osaka played badly of course she didn't but I think yeah I think you know Brady gave a good account of herself but she will be disappointed Uh, but I mean she yeah it's tricky isn't it because I kind of it just went very as I expected to be honest you know first time finalists and all that and I mean, I always just, I know I said this before, but I just felt that Osaka Muguruza match, saving those match points, I just felt it was set, set in the stars for that. And actually, Joel, this is, um, it, all of these times that a player saves a match point in, in earlier rounds and then goes on to win the title, it seems to always happen at the Australian Open. I remember Wozniacki did it a, a couple of years ago and because I was at that second round match when she was down a match point and she came back and then obviously went on to win the title. I think Kerber did it as well when she won in 2016. So it seems to happen quite a lot down under. I don't know why, uh, but it, you know, it bodes well if you, if you save a match point in an earlier round perhaps, but I think um, (laughs) that meant that Saka was just so tuned in, you know, from that point on, but, and where do you see, it's interesting, isn't it? That Saka, she's now, you know, gone up to number two in the world, which, you know, isn't a, a great increase from where she currently is ranked. A bit weird that, you know, she's not world number one because she's clearly the number one player in the world right now. But obviously the way that the rankings are currently um, worked out, Ash Barty still clings on to the top spot. Jen Brady, I think, has gone up to 13 in the world. I mean, wh- where do you see, like, 
I mean, where do you see both of them going for the, for the rest of the year? What, what do you think their kind of goals will be for over the next 12 months or so? Yeah, just a word on the ranking situation. I think now it's getting a bit, it does, I feel, get a bit silly now that we've got someone like Naomi Osaka reigning US Open and Australian Open champion not number one in the world and Ash Barty being number one in the world. No kind of disrespect to Ash Barty, but you feel like now Osaka... I don't care really what the, the rankings say. Naomi Osaka is the is the number one player in the world at the moment, and the, the rankings should reflect that, and and they don't. So I think I think there needs to be a question there to the kind of the WTA in terms of yeah, I know yes we had that that ranking freeze, but you know the fact that more tournaments are are being played, I feel like there needs to be a, a change in you know a change in tact in in terms of the rankings because they need to reflect current performances and I you know this result i just don't think it, it it is do it is doing it and i think there needs to be some sort of i don't know change to the algorithm or the the calculation because yeah Osaka is 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 the world number 1 and i think you know i think it's almost a formality to be honest that she will be world number 1 sooner rather than later this season and I don't actually see that as like a challenge. She's, you know, she's already been there. I think the challenge actually with world number one is, is actually when she gets there, how does she handle it? Because the the last time it happened, the first time it happened, I don't actually think she, it, she handled it that well. So I'm kind of curious to see kind of, again, it's going to be that kind of test of her sort of mental strength and application that he's, she's built up over the last year or so. I think it's about kind of, using that strength but applying it to kind of world number one and and how you handle that i i have no doubt that she's going to be able to handle it better because you know she's been in the limelight she's been exposed i think to the you know the media and and all the fans around the world uh, a lot a lot longer now i think she's used to it and hopefully she kind of just sees world number one as just kind of another thing but um yeah i kind of see that maybe as almost kind of the immediate sort of goal on or, or next step but certainly there is there is work to be done I think on the clay courts and grass courts yeah because actually interestingly Osaka's never been beyond the third round at either the French Open or Wimbledon which surprises me because I know that hard court is obviously her best surface but that she hasn't even got to the second week is quite surprising I, I feel like that's inevitably got to change this year and I'm sure it will whether she'll win I don't know I think that will also be her next goal is is becoming a a multi-surface Grand Slam champion. And, you know, that will be the only question mark that that remains, I suppose, for now is can she do it on, on other surfaces? And as for Brady, I suppose, again, what can she do on a hard court? What, um, sorry, what can she do on a clay court? What can she do on a grass court? Uh, will she, I think she'll be aiming, obviously, to crack the top 10 and just continuing and being consistent on tour because obviously she's had some fantastic slam results over the last few months and both her and Osaka have been, I guess, you know, some of these standout players since the tour has resumed. I mean, Osaka hasn't lost a match since the tour resumed. So, uh, you know, that's going to happen at some point, I'm sure. But yeah, she hasn't actually lost a match since February last year. I do think with Jennifer Brady that in in terms of her game, I don't think it's, you know, it's not obviously as complete as Naomi Osaka's. And I think one thing that she can work on is, I do sense that particularly with her forehand yes it's it's such a potent weapon but and you know i know the kind of the commentators are talking about there's a big wind up there and and i wonder whether she needs to almost kind of be able to be able to streamline her action when she comes up against players like asaka who aren't going to 
afford her that that time on the ball because I feel like that was almost kind of nullified because of the you know the, mm. the sort of the um, the wind the wind up that she has when she uh, you know takes takes that forehand. So I do wonder if there's work there to be done in terms of her, her ground strokes and being able to adapt and sort of tinker it for different types of of styles and and particularly coming up against someone like an a, a Naomi Osaka with all that power behind her maybe she's going to need to be able to you know be able to hit hit a really devastating forehand but doing it and doing it maybe in a more in a more kind of streamlined way yeah more more efficient perhaps and not mm. needing so much time in order to make it yeah i think that's an interesting point like technique wise um obviously you know both players are not going to sit on their laurels they both um I think very committed to continual improvement. And um, we saw that with Brady, you know, she, she moved over to Germany to train with her German team, um, you know, in the winter of 2019 and, you know, going for an American player, I think to leave America and, and go out over to Europe to train is quite a rarity. Mm. So obviously completely dedicated on, on her game and that's obviously paid dividends. I mean, Kip, do you see, I mean, with Jen Brady, do you see this as a, a flash in the pan in terms of, of slam finals. Do you think she, I mean, in a kind of, uh, in the, the presentation afterwards, she says she hopes this will be, you know, the first, the first of many. Uh, do you, do you see her as a, do you see her as a slam finalist? Do you see her as a slam champion? Where, where do you, where do you sit on that in terms of, cause I, I think we've got to appreciate that, you know, the draw that she got in that top half, it was not like that bottom half. And, yeah, you were, obviously you wonder if she was in that bottom half, would she would she have still got to the the final, for example? But I, I do I do um, I do think it's an interesting because I think we know that we're going to see Naomi Osaka in in Grand Slam finals in in the future. Do you do you still think do you think that could be the case for Jen Brady? Yeah, I certainly do. If the draw pans out for her, yeah, I I agree that if she had had if she'd been in that bottom half, she probably wouldn't have come through to the final because mm. you know Osaka would have stopped her before that or Serena maybe. Conversely, Kim, I mean, if, if Garbina Muguruza, I know we're talking in hypotheticals, but if Muguruza <laughs> was in that top path, I, I think we would have seen, I think we would have seen her in the final. Yeah. That, and that would have been something, wouldn't it? The mm. Muguruza Osaka match as the final. But yeah, I think, you know, we've seen with the women's game, the draws do sort of end up being a bit lopsided and, and funny sometimes. Just think when Ash Barty won her slam, you know, that was a very, a similar draw in the sense that she didn't actually have to play any, I think, top 10 players and, you know, got Von Drusova in the final and no offence to Von Drusova, but if Brady had maybe got Von Drusova today, I think Brady would have won that. So I think certainly it's possible that she, she will win a slam because I just think, although Osaka is going to be a very dominant force, especially at hardcore slams, I do think the women's game always still has the potential to throw up uh, quite rogue draws, which is great. I love that. So... I'm not complaining. That is very true, and you know we've got to we've got to say actually that you know on on the women's side we we've seen quite recently actually not being a slam finalist in in a in a slam final actually can um can can reap the rewards. Um, interesting kind of stats in terms of you know we had Sviontek uh, against Kenin in in the French Open final was first time slam finalist beat the Australian Open uh, champion from last year. Uh, Kenin did the same to Muguruza. Andrescu did that to, to Serena Williams in the 2019 US Open. So, you know, there was, you know, maybe Brady was kind of looking at that and thinking, actually, not, not being a, in a slam final before has actually proved quite, quite good, useful for, for those opponents. But 
but alas, I know it wasn't meant to be. But it's it's certainly I think interesting that for some reason that when we do get to finals, maybe that factor hasn't necessarily come into it as much on the women's side versus maybe on the men's side, where we've seen a you know a lot of times before first time slam finalists coming up against the big three it's it it normally just ends in in defeat doesn't it yeah uh usually it does uh it's such a different situation when you've got that top three or four when when andy was around you know players just completely dominant it's just and if you know that nine times out of ten if you did make your way through to your first slam final, <laughs> it's going to be one of one of them. And obviously, Dominic team Sasha Zverev, an exception last year at the US Open. But yeah, it's a bit a bit of a different kettle of fish. But when they've all gone, you know, it will be different. Now it kind of goes in waves, doesn't it? And I think both of the games at one point, you know, Serena was dominating, and maybe nine times out of ten, you'd be coming up against her or, or Venus in the final, and you think, oh God. Um, But it's the luck of the draw, as the saying goes, I suppose. It certainly is. And I mean, I guess kind of final thoughts really, Kim, on on the the ladies final. Um, Naomi Osaka, Jen Brady, we've spoken about kind of their, you know, their their potential sort of next challenges. Just, I think, final words on on Brady. Do you, you you know, we've spoken about her kind of pedigree at, at grand slams do you think she's going to be able to kind of translate this into into rankings as well because I, I do also get the sense that she's always this sort of dangerous sort of floater in terms of you know you never want to kind of come up against her in in the draw almost a little bit like a Kaya Kanepi and she's almost I think like carved out this Kaya Kanepi-esque status but for you know the fourth round or, or quarterfinals do you see her as a is I feel like she is a bona fide top ten player. Do you think? Do you think she could go higher than that? Do you think she's top five, or or do you think she, you know, do you think her game is is ground strokes and baselines, and that is only going to that that will get you to you know five to ten in the world, but would it get you any further? I'm I'm not so sure. Yeah, I think she needs to diversify her game a bit. Um, I'd like to see her coming you know into the net more and kind of. I mean, I know she was entered the, into the doubles with Ash Barty, but they pulled out. Um, this this tournament, but it would be interesting to see her. Yeah, getting more of an all court game. I don't really see her as top five. Like, no offense, I just think there's almost too many other players up there who I don't see dropping down in order to allow Brady to to get in there right now. Uh, you know, I can't see Halep going anywhere. You know, obviously Osaka. I mean, you still got the likes of Svitolina and and you know who maybe at a slam isn't so formidable, but is very very consistent on tour. I think we just need to see how consistent Brady will be on the tour events as well. Um, top ten for sure, but I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> it's a difficult one. <laughs> but I think yeah, she's still you know it's, it's still early days. Like she's only twenty five, and yes, whilst that might seem like she's a bit of a late bloomer compared to someone like I don't know the Coco Goffs of the world, who you know she's only sixteen. So it's a whole decade almost between them, but she's still got plenty of time to to have a resurgence. I feel like she could occupy like a Joe Conter sphere, you know, top 10, getting getting deep at a few slams. But will she ever go all the way? I, I don't know. And I guess just finally on, on Naomi Osaka, where, where, where do you see that? Do you feel like we've now kind of, are we entering a sort of Serena Williams-esque period of, of dominance? Do you see 
this is you know the um, I know she's already won four slams, but do you see this as a as a p- starting of a, a period of dominance across perhaps all all surfaces? I mean, where do you where do you see her tally? You know, ending up. Are we going to be talking about her in terms of a player who could maybe even overtake Serena Serena Williams one day, or you know, is she going to reach? 10 it, it, i feel like these are questions like we we don't i feel like we we might even know the answer to them now because we've seen how good she is at such a young age it almost kind of makes it i think does it feel like it makes it almost like a little bit easier to kind of predict what what might happen i'm not gonna say anything about her <laughs> reaching serena's total because i think that would be going some i i really couldn't say i think until she does it at the french and wimbledon and has the potential to win, you know, four slams a year. Mm. <laughs> I think that's, I wouldn't say she'd, she'd be reaching Serena's tally. Uh, I mean, I've never say never, but I think, yeah, I think double figures, that, that could be a thing, but I'm so conscious of like getting carried away. <laughs> uh, it's only, you know, four, yeah, four is great, but and she's still so young, but you just don't know what's around the corner. So I wouldn't want to, I, I still, I still like the idea of Serena being like the ultimate. And I still want Serena to to beat the record. I really do. And I'm I really hope she can do that like at Wimbledon this year or something. Um I just think that would be the fairest way. And then then Azaka can maybe catch up to her. I think if I was Serena Williams, I think I would want to be on the other the other side of the draw to Naomi oh, Osaka oh, at, yeah. at the moment. But uh yeah, I guess I guess we shall see. As you said, I think for Osaka in order to kind of enable that period of dominance she's going to have to prove it on, on all the court surfaces and, and we've seen it on a hard court and I think it's always kind of entering that sort of territory of Nadal on, on Chatrier and Djokovic on, on Rod Laver Arena at the Australian Open I feel like with Naomi Osaka we're almost just seeing that just generally on, on a hard court I mean four of the last six hard court slams have, have gone her way so yeah, her period of dominance there is, is definitely up and running but perhaps for the other court surfaces maybe it's still just beginning so we have the men's doubles final as well taking place uh, this weekend. And obviously Britain's Joe Salisbury was in it, uh, aiming to become the first uh, men's double repeat winner uh, with his partner Rajiv Ram since I think Bob and Mike Bryan did it back in 2009 to 2011, winning three in a row. Um, so it's, it's not not a common thing for someone to defend an AO title. And unfortunately, they didn't manage to do so. They lost in straight sets to Ivan Dodig and Philip Palasek, 6-3, 6-4. And I think we were both uh, going into that thinking, oh, they're not playing Metic and Pavic. They've got a right chance <laughs> I know, here. I know. So it's such a shame. But yeah, they were very dominant in the end, you know, they didn't even have a break point against Stodig and Palasek. So, yeah, very one-sided, really. I mean, just just looking at Bob and Mike Bryan winning three in a row, I mean, that is seriously... That is seriously impressive because, you know, defending a title is is hard enough, but to do... Three in the world, three in a row in, in the doubles arena. Given you know it's a, still a very competitive field, um, is yeah serious achievement. But yeah, I'm, I, I think it's unfortunate for Joe Salisbury because I felt like th- th- him and Ram were playing really, really good tennis all the way through the, the tournament. Beat obviously Jamie Murray in the, the semi final with Bruno so- Bruno Suarez. Um, but yeah, obviously Dodig and Palasic were just were just uh, were just a cut above. I mean, no no break points. It was, yeah, unfortunately it was, it was pretty routine. And yeah, I'm a bit gutted for, for Joe because I, I sensed that they were, you know, in, in really good form and, and they probably felt that they could have, they could have gone one step, one step further. 
Yeah, it would have been really nice for him to get his second title, uh, second mm. slam title. But I mean, just a note on Philip Palasek. He, he only, um, what well, he retired a few years ago. He had a, had a back issue, leg issue. So he had to retire and he came out of retirement in 2018. So a bit of a remarkable comeback and, and story for him. And, and two story. days ago, his, his partner gave birth to their second child. So it's all happening at once for Philip Palasek. And that must have been, you know, quite difficult being away, obviously from, from the birth of his daughter so really nice thing to take back home you know men's doubles title so yeah nice story for for Palasic there and Dodeg you know he's a bit of a kind of stalwart Croatian I, I find you know he's Kim I was just looking him up he's 36 years old and I think that was mm. his second uh second uh men's doubles title so yeah I'm they've they sure they definitely had I think a lot of motivation to secure the final and obviously it, it got them over the line yeah, absolutely. But Rajiv Ram did win a title. He won the mixed doubles with Babora Krichichkova. Uh, 6-1, 6-4, they won against the uh, Aussie pairing of Sam Stozer and, and Matt Ebden. So they have regained their title that they won back in 2019. So yeah, Rajiv has come home with a title. And uh, yeah, nice to have some some Aussies in the, in the final, but obviously not to be against a very, you know, a very uh, superior doubles pairing. Kim, were we very close to having a Rajiv Ram versus Joe yeah. Salisbury in yeah. the, the mixed double type? Because didn't Joe yeah. Salisbury lose in the, the Yeah, semis? Joe Salisbury lost to Stozer and Ebden um, with his partner, Korshik. So yeah, <laughs> we could have had <laughs> a Salisbury-Ram face-off. So yeah, I mean, that would have been nice because then Joe would have had an- another shot to uh, to get you know another doubles title. But there we go. Um, but another title has been won as well, Joel, <laughs> in our collector set because yes. we, we do have a definitive winner for this year's collector set. We had to set a tiebreaker question because we had 12, 12 participants all on three correct guesses. So our tiebreaker question, to those of you who obviously weren't involved, um, it was to predict the number of games that the men's and women's singles runner up would win in the finals so we asked each of the 12 participants yourself included joel know, to guess <laughs> let's settle that better because I, I i went way too high i went way too high with my answer i think i went with 32 or 33 and it was yeah. just i think after the women's final had happened I, I don't actually think it was mathematically possible for it for me to win it so i was a bit i was like Oh uh, yeah, I was I was a bit disappointed I wasn't going to be able to get my my own, very own passing shot mug. Yeah. Um, well, I'm sure you can give yourself one at some point, Joel. <laughs> uh, but we had a range of guesses from 18 up to 33 for the number of games that would be won. And yeah, Addy is our winner with 18 games. So in in total, there were actually 16 games at the women's and men's runners up one so he was only two games off so very impressive from Addy well done for winning we will be sending you your very own passing shot mug so uh, watch (laughs) out for that it'll be on its way to you shortly Uh, but I think that brings us to a close now Joel I mean just to say thank you to everyone for taking part in Collector Set Uh, we hope to have all of you back on board for Roland Garros it's 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 really nice to have a bit of predictions fun whilst the uh, the Grand Slam's going on. Yeah, and just to our listeners as well, thank you for taking the time to listen to our round-by-round coverage over the last couple of weeks of the Australian Open. I hope you've really um, enjoyed listening to our thoughts, our fan thoughts, Joel and Kim's thoughts um, across the two weeks. We're always kind of open to feedback uh, around the show. So if you have any feedback or you just want to give us some words of encouragement or some comments or whatever, just just let us know. You can either DM us on, on Twitter or you can email the show passing 
talkingshotpod at gmail.com. But we would really appreciate any uh, any feedback. And if you have been enjoying the show, I know we say this every week, but honestly, it helps us so much. Um, if there's one way you want to kind of show your support for the show um, and you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, or even if you have a an iPhone or an Apple device um, is to leave us a rating and comment um, on the Apple podcast app. Honestly, that would help us out so much. All you have to do is literally go on our page, scroll down to the bottom and you can um, enter a star and uh, submit a review. You don't have to sign up to anything. So again, yeah, that would really help us out. But um, yeah, we're going to be going back to our weekly format. So we're not going to be going, we don't have to go round by round anymore (laughs) until the the next Grand Slam. But um, we will be back next Sunday. There's a lot of tournaments uh, in the, the, well, in next week coming up. We've got Singapore, we've got Cordoba in, in Argentina, Montpellier and Adelaide. I mean, very quickly, Kim, We've got Andy Murray in in Montpellier. I think he could face Yannick Sinner potentially in round two. Um, any any quick thoughts on that? Uh, yes, please. I would love <laughs> to see that. I really hope that happens. <laughs> are we always are we always going to get a French winner? I feel like we always get a French winner in Montpellier. Uh, so yeah. I'm hoping that's not the case. I'm hoping that's not the case when we record next Sunday. But listeners, I hope you can join us for our next weekly catch-up which will be next sunday probably sunday evening uk time uh in the meantime i hope you have enjoyed listening to our round by round coverage remember if you want to stay up to date on all things tennis in the tennis world make sure to subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify overcast Castbox, stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast make sure you hit that subscribe button for the passing shot and once again if you have enjoyed listening to us over the last couple of weeks and you want to show your sign of support make sure to leave us a rating and comment on apple podcasts and you can follow us on social media if you don't already we are on twitter instagram and facebook at passing shot pod uh, so do give us a like and a follow tell your friends as well if they're into tennis so they can give us a follow as well and you can get in contact with us via email as well as social media so our email is passing shot pod at gmail.com and we will be back next sunday for our weekly catch up on all of the ATP and WTA tour events that will be going on next week. So I hope you can join us for that. Once again, thanks for taking the time to listen to us over the last two, two over the last two weeks and we'll see you again soon.